Merry Christmas. I don't know about you, but about this time every year I go, whew, we made it. It's Christmas Eve. I hope your shopping is done. If it's not, I hear Walgreens is still open at the gas station. Hopefully not for your spouse. Uh, do you feel a little bit lost when it comes to Christmas? So you run around and we got office parties and gifts exchange and cookies and kid activities and school plays and decor at the store and lights on the house and yeah, look, I'm not going to get mad at Christmas or rail on it. I like Christmas. I like this time. Uh, I've sort of accepted the trappings of the season and the work that kind of comes along with it. It makes us busy. It makes me feel relieved on Christmas Eve. It's kind of part of our culture. It's part of our country. It's our way of life as Americans. And if really that's all we take away from Christmas, you know, I can understand it, and there's value in that. But I think it sort of leaves us wondering, what's the point? Um... And the point is, I think there is an obvious deeper meaning. And I won't insult you. I'm not going to reread the uh, story of Jesus and the wise men and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. Uh, I think everybody knows that story. And it's a good story. But I think there's a deeper story, a more important story we need to consider about Jesus. Um, And so that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. And we're going to try to make it a whirlwind um, because I know you're eager to get how many Christmas cookies or whatever it is you do on Christmas Eve. That's good. So I have a number of questions I'm going to ask and answer. Don't worry, it's a lot of questions, but the answers will be brief. If you don't like my answers, we can talk about it later. Well, my email is greg at denverfirehouse.com if you have any questions. So our first question, what is God? We'll look at the big picture. What is God with a capital G? You say, wow, you stepped way back on that one. Um, well, I think if we're going to define God, we better get our definition correct here. God must have limitless power. He must have limitless knowledge. He must be ever-present, which means he's everywhere all the time. And he must be timeless. He must be outside of time. And we'll use he, the pronoun for he, just for the sake of simplicity, not because we're trying to indicate preference for gender. If we don't define him as such, he's not really a worthwhile God, right? He's just somebody, something with a little bit more power than maybe we do. And so we must also conclude that this God is the creator of the universe. See, if he's not the creator of the universe, it means there's something outside of God's power and outside of his knowledge and time and his presence. So we'll define God as the creator. Moving on to the next question. We'd say, well, does this God even exist? It's fine you defined him, but does he even exist? I'm not sure he exists, Greg. What's the deal? And that's kind of an existential question. I get it. But I think we have to, to continue here. We have to assume that this creator would provide us with ample evidence that he exists. If there was not evidence or if there was misleading evidence that made us think otherwise, then he would not really be a worthwhile God. And we probably really couldn't consider him God with a capital G, right? So you're saying, well, is there any evidence? And I believe there's a lot. And we could spend probably weeks and weeks talking about all the evidence there is, but I'll give you just two quick points. Uh, The first one, first proof, if you will, is the world around us. Say, if you open any book about nature or if you step outside, uh, you can really wonder at the intricacy and the complexity we see in the world. 
even think about your eyes, your eyeballs. I don't think about your eyes too much. We tend to take them for granted. But they're incredibly complex. And then I would say as an example, look at the building you're sitting in. Was this building, here's a question for you, was this building created by intelligent people or did it happen by chance? Duh. The obvious answer is it was created by people, some intelligence, right? And how do you know that? Because it's complex to some degree and it has a lot of order to it. Well, if you look at the universe, you see the universe is complex and has order to it. So if we see that in what's man-made, would we not see that in the natural world and come to the same conclusion? Second proof is that there is a universal concept of God. If you go into every culture, there's some concept of a higher power, some ultimately powerful being in the universe. And to me, this intrinsic longing seems to be a marker left by this creator. And the Bible addresses this question. Romans 1.20 says, For the since the creation of the world... God, again that creator, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. However, I understand that there are many of you, there are many, some of you, who doubt the existence of God and I'd be glad to have a discussion with you at some point about that. And uh, you're definitely welcome in our church here if you have doubts about even the existence of God. Um, But for the purpose of this talk, we're going to continue on and we're going to proceed with the understanding that God, the Creator, exists. And that answers our question. Because if He didn't exist, we'd just stop here and go home and have Christmas cookies. Do whatever we were going to do, right? So that leads us to our third question, which is, has God made Himself known to us? Okay, so we define God and we said God exists. Well, has He made Himself known to us or not? And some people theorize a clockmaker God someone who maybe created the universe and then left it alone to run on its own. But we can really see that's as good as no God at all, right? I mean, what would be the point of uh, seeking to know that God if that was all he did? He sort of wouldn't be able to be known. So we'll just assume that this creator has sought to make himself known to you and me. And if that's the case, it would sort of follow that he would reveal himself to us in some sort of story. And that leads us to our next question. Well, if he has revealed himself to us, What story about the Creator should we be looking for? And I would surmise that this story would have four qualities. First, it would be unique, because it would follow that a unique story would also have to kind of be be counterintuitive, but if it wasn't unique, you might wonder if it was made up by men. Second point, it would uh, focus on the Creator, not on men kind of seems obvious because if it focused on men it was probably created by men Uh, the third thing it would recognize the problem that makes a gulf between God and men you say what is that problem we'll we'll talk about that in a second and I think the last thing that this story would do it would address this this problem with an amazing solution so now let's talk about that third point there and that brings us to the next question which is what is our problem well very simply put the problem is sin And we can simply define sin as what I've done wrong. In your case, what you've done wrong. Now, you might question whether right and wrong actually exists or if it's merely a societal or social construct. We'll get into that. We have a long discussion, I'm sure. But for now, let's simply state there's evidence of a generally universal understanding of good and evil in the world. 
among humans and this has been consistent throughout history so we could accept that there's sin and we'd say well why is sin a problem why can't we just do what we want to do well if we go back to our definition of God we see that he's perfect and by him being perfect that also means he's sinless you see the problem sinless sinful we have a gap a gulf between God and me and you and so we're looking for a story that addresses this issue the issue of sin and remember we talked about it's got to have an amazing solution to it okay so that takes us to our next question what stories are available to us as humankind well there's the non-religious they've yet to find any non-religious stories that address adequately the gulf created by sin and they tend to dismiss God as unimportant or non-existent so that doesn't really help us and there's religion, religious stories. But to me, all of them seem to be concerned somehow with a gap of sin between God and me, but they universally state that bridging that gap of sin is dependent on me. One way or another. Five pillars of Islam, the Ten Commandments, uh, work as hard as you can, whatever it is that the religion is going to propose. And so I would not classify religious sources as amazing even though each one is unique and that uniqueness seems to be grounded in culture and geography not really necessarily in the story or, or in sort of that root of trying to bridge the gap from me to God and so that really leaves us with Jesus you go oh, 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 hold on you said, you said no religion and Christianity is religion and we can grant that but let's talk about the person of Jesus not the religion of Christianity First, Jesus is the only figure in history who credibly claimed to be God and can't be dismissed as a sham or a fake. He also focused his efforts on directly addressing the problem of our sin. See, when you read the Gospels, this is complete, the complete and utter thrust of his teachings, his miracles, and his life. He addressed the problem of our sin in a way no one else had. And that way was that he offered a simple and unique plan for bridging the gap. Remember, unique? This is sounding kind of amazing to me. And here's that plan, in case you've never heard it before. For one, recognize that your sin separates you from God and that you can't get there on your own. You can't bridge that gap. Okay? And then what? Then do I work hard? Do I do good stuff? Do I go to church? No. The second part of the plan is very simple. Accept God's forgiveness for your sins. A free gift from Him to you. And that's it. It's really simple. Wow, it's sort of a simple and unique and amazing plan. And so, according to Jesus, how does this forgiveness of sins take place? Well, it was in the death of Jesus Himself, crucified as a sinless man. Remember we said He was perfect, He was God. He was crucified as a sinless man to stand in our place and take the punishment of death upon him. Again, simple and amazing. I think even children can understand and accept the story. A couple of mine have. So to me, when you look at all of the options there, this seems to be the story that we're looking for. And you go, oh, well, that's nice, Craig. Is there anything external to Jesus that might confirm the story? not just a story somebody made up well I, there's a lot and there's a lot of books you could read about that but there's three proofs about this that I thought I would just share briefly and you can go do a web search on them if you want later the first one is prophetic fulfillment 
See, scholars agree that Jesus met the specific requirements of over 300 Jewish prophecies written down hundreds of years before his birth. Do you recognize that song we sing? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And then they go off in the high and the low. You know that song? Well, that's not from the New Testament. That's from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote that down eight centuries before Jesus was born. And it's about Jesus. And we accept that it's about Jesus. A second way, a second external proof is the timelessness of the story of Jesus. It's lasted and thrived through the centuries, unchanged and unaffected by challenges, persecution, technology, and philosophy. And then the third way that I see there's a proof here is in the universality of the message of Jesus. See, his solution is very simple and it applies to all people all over the earth in all times despite cultural and geographical differences that we have. And today we see followers of Jesus all over the world. And so now we're going to close. And as we come to a close, I would ask for you to maybe bow your heads, close your eyes, take a deep breath. It's Christmas Eve. Your shopping's done, right? We talked about that. Relax and think about this story. And if you recognize the story of Jesus and you've already received the Creator's free gift of forgiveness, take a moment to quietly thank Him for it. Make it a point tonight and tomorrow and every day to refocus your life on the importance of that child born 2,000 years ago. Don't focus on the fact that He was born in some neat circumstances with angels and wise men. Focus on the fact that he was born to die and be the centerpiece of God's simple, amazing, and unique story for bridging that gap between us and God, that gap of sin. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I know some of you came into this building ostensibly not interested in the creator of the universe. And some of you even came in holding doubts about his existence. And again, I welcome you and I'm glad you're here. And I want to extend you mercy in your doubts because the Creator has shown me mercy day after day after day. So I hope that in this quiet moment with all our eyes closed, you can summon the courage to quietly call out to your heart, from your heart to this Creator. Remember, if He exists, He's interested in you. And so I dare you tonight, call out to Him and say, say something simple like, God, if you're real... Show me in such a way I can't be mistaken. See, I believe he cares about you personally and he'll answer this prayer. Some of you have heard this amazing story of forgiveness before. And you've been fighting against its simplicity and you've been looking for excuses and you've been holding on to a doubt even though they don't even exist in your mind anymore. But this is it, what we're talking about here. This is the only way through the person of Jesus. And I think you know it. And I think you know that religion and non-religion have no answers for that gnawing on your conscience. And so tonight, Christmas Eve 2012, can be the place where you quietly say to God something simple like this. Say, 
Creator, I accept that you sent Jesus to earth to die in my place, to take the punishment of death that is due for me for my sin. I receive the free gift of forgiveness you offer through Him. And I further make Jesus my Lord, and I will seek to obey you from this day forward out of love for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. And so closing here, I ask the band to come up. Um, we have the illustration of candles. Hopefully you all grab candles. And there's, there's not a lot of us in the room tonight, but that's okay. Um, you saw me light this candle when I first came up. And uh, it represents the story of Jesus. It represents the amazing story of forgiveness. And that story has the ability to affect each of us. And so we'll pass the flame around the room. And why do we do it? Well, it's tradition, in part. And traditions are fun, right, mostly? Except the fruitcakes. I don't really enjoy that part of Christmas. But let's take this opportunity again to remember that this story has the ability to affect every person if we choose. And as it grows, it illuminates our world. And it gives us light that chases away the darkness in our society, in our hearts. And so as we light these candles, we're going to sing the song Joy to the World again and then go out. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Christmas celebration. Thanks for being with us.